Welcome to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio, where we explore pathways to health for self, society, and the planet. We are home to a range of voices, as there is no single roadmap for meeting the challenges of our times. Tune in each week to expand your perspective, deepen your attention, and cultivate practices that support personal, communal, and global health. Thank you for joining us on this journey. Now, here's your host. Welcome, everyone, to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. My name is Susan Olesic, and I am delighted to be here to talk with another personality style that we've been um, building up to all the way around the Enneagram. Today, we're talking about the heart center of intelligence, and we're specifically focusing on type four, which we call the romantic. We also call type four the individualist. And just to back up a little bit with people um, on the heart center to refresh um, how the Enneagram diagram is working, is that the heart center is um, made up of types two, three, and four. And this is the center that really represents the seat of our value and, and our worth. Twos, threes, and fours are the the types who use their emotional intelligence in order to filter the world and perceive the world. It's not a, something they effort to do. It's its an um, a- automatic thing that they do. And they have each of them in their own way, sort of an unusual emotional capacity and a sensitivity, I would say. Um, all of the types you have an emotional center of intelligence, of course, and um, that's where two, three, and four live. And this is the the center of intelligence of the heart. It tells us that we're connected and that we're approved of. This is the the center of intelligence that lets us know, do you you see me? Do you get me? Do you understand me? Do you know me? Do you like me? Really, am, am I loved? And as we grow up, it's really natural for us to separate from our parents as we're figuring out who am I. And in varying degrees, we are all um, mirrored or seen by our caretakers, which is um, just how it goes for all of us. And attachment then is sort of at the crux of how we individuate with a secure sense of, of ourselves and who we are. So twos, threes, and fours are the types that tend to carry this hurt around not being seen for who they really were as children. And for those of you, any of you who are parents, <laughs> like I'm a parent, and once I was learning the Enneagram, this part always sort of pained me. I don't know anybody that really feels 100% like they were seen for who they really were as children, for the record. But um, two, three, and four are the ones that feel like they weren't seen in this way in a, in, in a particular wound. And um, when, I, when I'm not connected to those whom I perceive are there, you know, in order to love me, there's a real um, distress, there's a panic around this, there's a sadness around this. And these are the types that really insist, see me the way I want to be seen. And they do that in each of their own different ways. Um, so the image, therefore, is really central. Um, when we know that we're loved, and um, then we can, our sense of self can emerge, and we can bring the natural gifts that we um, were born with into the world. And that's ideally where we are all trying to nurture and, and grow our children. But of course, it can go either way, and um, usually some somewhere in the middle. Um, if we don't know who we are when we're growing up, if we don't feel secure and who we're emerging into be, then we feel like we have to be somebody. We make it up. And this is kind of part of the survival strategy that two, three, and four um, do. So ego comes out of that and for all of us in our personality. But ego knows that uh, I'm a fraud and that the image that I have is kind of a masquerade. And there's a sort of a sadness around this by all of the image types is a sense of like I've kind of 
have a false sense of my being, like I kind of abandoned who I truly am. And all of this is very much underground when we're growing up. So talking about type four, type four is the type that um, that comes into the world to teach the rest of us about authenticity. And um, we, we can call type four the truth teller on the diagram because type four has a capacity to really hold the the deepest meaning in how things are they actually really crave it they they hunger for it and they will bring it out they will insist on it if it's not being said four is kind of like the canary in the coal mine and this is why we need the four and um i anybody that knows me knows i'm kind of like a moth to a flame with fours so um my my best friend for years and years has been this type i have a connection to four as a type one because i have a line there and like I said, we need this type. But the young four, as they're developing, they get this idea that um, other people somehow are connected in a way that I'm not. Other people have something that I don't. And there's a sense of it that there's something about me that I don't have. And if I only did have this thing, I would feel better. And so there's sort of a quest inside of type four um, around this where they're they're wanting to um go out and find this thing that's missing. So they have a knack for finding, seeing what's missing, sensing what's missing. And of course, the less connected I am to myself, the more I'm out in pursuit of that. So I kind of want to stop there and um, introduce you to two of our guests today, because I'm really delighted to have people who are so self-witnessing um, and they can speak about four better than I can. And part of this is the narrative tradition, which is a, a style that I love to teach in. So I'd like to introduce Chad Christ. Chad, welcome. Hello. <laughs> thank you for being here. And Brad Ackerman. Brad, thank you for being here. Hello. Thank you. Welcome. Welcome. So I'm, I'm talking, I've said already a lot, and um, I know both of you well enough to know that this is uh, juicy territory for you. So I just want to um, start by asking you, if you could, Chad, can you fill us in a little bit on how, how was it that you recognized yourself in this type and where were you when you sort of landed yourself on the Enneagram? Can we start there? Yeah, I mean, initially I thought I was a seven, you know that, um, but as I studied the Enneagram more, I mean, it became really clear to me and certain that I was certainly a four. Um, yeah, it's funny to listen to you talk about the four because it feels like um, you're reading my journals, you know, the mm-hmm. same sort of experience <laughs> when, um, uh, when I read the Risa Hudson book and really read the, the chapter on the four, it was like, oh my God, like this person knows my deepest, darkest longings and secrets and sort of the emo- emotional undertone and what drives me and my strategy of, of surviving in this, in this world. Uh, yeah, it's um, really pronounced this week. I, I very much felt like a four this week, very <laughs> misunderstood, a lot of challenges and um, longing to be heard and to be understood. Well, thank you for starting us there. And of course, that's what I'm counting on, that I know that you can go wherever we need to go with the Enneagram. So thanks for just kind of helping us to orient that part. And one thing that we really know in type four is that attention goes out in a pattern. And for type four, it often goes to what's missing. And um, I'm wondering, do you see that pattern in yourself? Yeah, you know, um, I think you were right on with what you were talking about in the intro is that, you know, I'm 
driven by this overwhelming emotional sense. Um, and if I feel that I'm being misunderstood or not being heard, it's, it's like arduous work to have to get out of that emotional center and use my head and intellectually try to work myself out of it. It's, it's like you said, it's just sort of overwhelming sadness or just this emotional, that's my go-to. That's, you know, my default. That's where I just wake up in the morning in that state. And if things are not going well and not as planned, then I need to, you know, it's like really hard work to, um, get out of my emotional center and, and sort of use my head and put in the work and put in the hours, this sort of the nose to the grindstone to be heard and to be understood and to, you know, longing for authenticity and longing for people to understand me and where I'm at and uh, oft, often feeling misunderstood, which I think is common for the four in this day and age um, when things are yeah. so sort of intellectual or material and not not so, you know, the emotional, the center, um, spiritual center, and that, that aspect of our personality isn't really um, catered to in this day and age that often. So, yeah. It's not. It's not. And also, in your defense, I want to say that, like, you, you said something when you first started talking that's really relevant for all of us, which is that this is your go-to, meaning this is not a strategy you, you uncovered last year and you thought, oh, the heart, you know, <laughs> this is something you've been practicing for a while. And it helped you in a, in a significant way in your childhood. So do you have a sense of how was this useful? Why was this a useful strategy for you as a, as a little guy? Huh. That's a great question. Um, I don't, you know, my, my, obviously everyone's situation is, is, you know, uh, unique mine. You know, I had a very abusive childhood and so, um, you know, I often spent a lot of time alone and misunderstood and, um, and sad and hurtful. And so I don't know if it was, you know, the nature or nurture argument, was I born this way or did I develop this way because of circumstances, but I, uh, I longed for, um, you know, genuine love for authenticity. And then I didn't have that very much as a child. Mm-hmm. And so it, uh, when I, the little bit that I could find it here and there, and as I developed and sort of went out on my own in this world, um, I valued that so much. It was like, if I could find genuine people and genuine love and genuine caring and the, the reciprocity of the giving and taking of energy and just being, having healthy relationships, it was like that, that meant more to me than anything else because I just simply didn't have very much of that as a child, you know? And so, yeah, that really, that drove me. That was an instinctual, it was a strategy of something I looked for and longed for. And, you know, I, I went, lots of different places looking for that, whether it be the church or um, wherever, um, looking for genuine, you know, love and acceptance and being able to, you know, reciprocate that was just something that was like the most important thing. I remember one time, maybe it was like 20 years old, I was having a conversation with my dad and he had said to me like, what, what, do you live for, you know, what's like the most important thing? Like we were having a really long conversation and I'm like this, this is like the most important thing is to like, to genuinely connect with somebody I love and to talk about life and try and get my head around who we are and what's going on in our place in this world. It's like, that is like, I love like what I'm doing right now, trying to define our life and what's important, you know, it's sort of like the most important thing to me. 
Right. Well, and you know, I have a slight bias in the same territory and <laughs> the work that we do together and then and just being connected to four like I am. And Brad, I want to invite you into the conversation because I know that there's got to be resonance over there with you. And I want to go back a little bit to the first question that I was asking Chad, which is the focus of attention for type four goes to what's missing. And I'm wondering, do you do you recognize that in yourself? I do recognize it. I have a dear friend who isn't like me, and he jokes that I'm grass is greener guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have to really check myself when I talk to him because it's easy for me to just speak from my heart, and eventually that leads to what's missing for sure. Right. Uh, so I really credit that relationship and the Enneagram with recognizing. It's easy for me to focus on what's missing. That has its benefits, of course. Um, but when I'm not feeling especially great, I can be in the the, the envy trap. Right. And so, and so gratitude is really the way through that. Absolutely. I agree with you totally. And I want to add in here, because a lot of people ask, well, why is the, why is the Enneagram so negative? And it is a system that, points to the unconscious. So I think the things that we don't want to look at, of course, those are the ones that are underground um, in one way. But Enneagram, I think, is actually a system that points right with us. And in the way that four has a habit of noticing what's missing, they can see what is necessary and what th- what could be. And one and four and seven are all written up as what we call the idealists. These are types that are sort of um, eternally um, idealistic of what, what the world could look like, how we could be connected, how the, um, how the criminal justice system could be reformed, just picking one out of the air. Um, all, all these idealisms come from this, this sort of chronic frustration with what is. And so it can go either way. And um, I'm wondering then, Brad, as, I was, as you were listening to Chad, and maybe something came up for you, do you have a sense of how is it that seeing what was missing was a, a way to help you to survive your childhood or was it as a strategy that was useful for you? I'm not clear on the question. I, I know something's missing because I can't answer it. Yeah. <laughs> well, the the idea that we don't do anything if it doesn't serve us, like Dr. Phil would say, it's working for you in some way. So how is it How is it a helpful thing? How is it a, a useful um how is it useful for you to be the guy who can feel what needs to be said, the thing that's not when people aren't, aren't being totally honest or how I'm not connected or when somebody doesn't see something that needs to be articulated? Or do you find that you have a knack for that? Absolutely. Yeah. And I have um, had the privilege of being in, in circles, uh, groups of people where uh, I, I'm sensing that something is missing and usually it's a truth or a depth that makes me uncomfortable it makes me uncomfortable because it isn't present and that's really an invitation for me to bring that to bring what's missing right right and so I, I like to make sure that we're remembering what the gift of the type is because it's when we forget this. And oftentimes when we start off talking about any of the types around the Enneagram, we immediately forget and we want to talk about all the dysfunction. But we have to remember that we don't do anything without a reason. And our personalities come out of an innocent place where we're just trying to get loved and we're just trying to know that we're lovable. 
And when we don't know that, we tend to overdo a, a strategy that sort of mimics our essential qualities. It, it mimics the um, the thing that we are really very good at. And um, and that's that's an important part of type four. So when you say that you're kind of a grass is greener guy, or somebody says that about you, a guy that said you're a, the grass is greener guy, of course we can start talking about envy. And this is sort of the emotional driver for type four. Or another word for envy is longing. And um, it's not like jealousy, like I see what you had and I wish I had it. It's much more subtle and more complex. It's sort of like I see what you have and what you have reminds me that I don't have it. And if I only had what you had, then... I wouldn't feel this incomplete in myself, and then I could feel what I'm looking for. And so fours are looking out in that way a lot. And I'm wondering, Chad, do you relate to this, and can you see this in yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's one thing I love about the four is that I think, you know, suffering for me has been the most profound teacher in my life. And it's like those as much as I envy and long for something else, something greener, something over there, um, I'm missing it, you know? Um, and it comes back to the authenticity thing. It's like, and, and this is sort of a, you know, spirits, my spiritual journey has been, and I constantly have to go back and remind myself that when I catch myself in those aha moments where I'm longing and wanting something more or feel like I'm missing something, it's like, that's, that's my ego. That's just my head. And, and it's like, I'm, you know, but that's a great teacher. Like as long as we take that path of thinking we're missing something and life is always greener or envying somebody else, we're suffering and we're clinging to something or I am clinging to something that I've something that I think I don't have that I need, but I'm, um, Suffering is a great teacher. It brings me back to the realization that I am whole and I'm full and I'm well and I don't need anything else outside myself. But the best way to learn that for me has been to suffer and realize every time I do achieve and get this other thing that I think is going to make me happy, ultimately it doesn't. I still have this feeling of longing and wanting and it's like, it's just like it's a it's like a meditation or a practice. You like keep coming back to it. Like I can't tell you how many times in the day I catch myself. I'm like, I'm doing it again. I'm doing it again. It's like I'm 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 believing the lie that somehow I'm not whole and well and perfect as I am. You know, I'm I'm chasing and I'm clinging to something else that I think is going to make me better, and it's simply not. You know, and. So any time I try to define these things, I really struggle with making it clear, you know, but uh, I don't know. Well, no, you're doing a great job. And I think you're pointing to something that's very true, which is that we're fiercely addicted to our types. And and there's a reason for that, because down there, when I'm in the grips of envy and I'm suffering really good, there's a lot of pain. And I think that out of pain and felt experience comes a lot of creativity and a lot of artistry and music. And I was working with a, a woman in prison not that long ago who was a type four. And we always ask people, where are you? You know, to check in with them. Are you above the line? Are you below the line? And if you're below the line, are you are you willing to shift a little? And um, and I, she said, I'm below the line. And I said, are you willing to shift? And she looked at me and she said, not really. I, uh, I'm working on a poem and I'm, I've I've got a lot of juice down here. And mm-hmm. I, that, I get that, right? Some, the worst thing when we're really in our um, emotional, you know, stew sometimes is that somebody's really happy. It's very annoying sometimes. We like it there. And it's it's generative. It's do you, do you are, are you creative in that way? 
Yeah, I mean, that's something because that's something I'm struggling with. I'm in a, a, a strange sort of um, crossroads because I, in the past, I have loved going into that sort of selfish, dark, like, stew that you were saying because it is creative and you can really, you know, I love to draw and paint and sing and write and that's that's what I love to do. And so I can create in those spaces really well. Um the conflict for me right now is like, I, I'm just like, I'm sort of, I guess I'm sort of, I'm hoping that I'm like kind of raising my consciousness and my spiritual growth is like, I'm not so willing to go into those places as much. Like it's mm-hmm. selfish to a certain degree, you know? And it's like, it's, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not being fully present. I'm in my head and I'm, I'm focusing on the suffering and the pain and the wallowing. It's like, I've done so much of that. It's just kind of like, doesn't interest me. I'm much more, I'm much more interested in being present and in the moment and being Mm. free from, from that. There's a, there's a, a, there's a yoke. There's like a weight to that, that I guess creatively it does bring out some really great stuff. um, And it serves its purpose in that way. And, And a lot of people, you know, that's the type of art I relate to. I see that and I'm moved by art that comes from that place. Um, but I'm a little reluctant to go there right now, you know. Um, well, I think that you're pointing to this discernment. And I, before you say more, because it's like a really good springboard, Brad, I want to um, bring you in and ask you some, some of the same sorts of questions around this, first of all, this um, pattern of envy and longing for something and the, sort of the melancholy that that can generate. Are you relating to any of this? Tell us, how are you relating to this? You know, um, so I took a workshop with Ross Hudson, and it was mentioned through, and it was also mentioned on the Enneagram Institute website, uh, examples of each type, like actual people in the world, and examples Mm -hmm. of each type. And I laughed out loud when I read who my tribe was. Um, It included Rumi and... Marlon Brando and Amy Winehouse and some yeah. some excellent sufferers, uh, Chelsea <laughs> and uh, Miles Davis and all these people. And I thought, and probably Morrissey is on there too. And I really, um, I know, I knew all of the artists, Leonard Cohen. I knew all these artists, and and I, yeah. I too, I, mean, I consider myself an artist. And when I'm when the artist in me is alive, uh, I feel incredibly purpose-driven and, and I'm like Chad mentioned I'm able to use that energy and really create with it and that's when I feel not only not only do I feel strong and powerful but I also feel like I can bring those gifts to others and really elevate my community mm. in what way by um, by helping other people be seen mm-hmm. yeah yeah, and I know that part of that for you is what you mentioned in the beginning is facilitating different groups. So you're you're articulating some of this part of what I wanted, what Chad was hinting at, which is this discernment. And um, I'll say this, and then it might be just about time for us to take a quick break. That in all the types, we're all if we're connected to ourselves, we can bring the gifts. And when we aren't, we're trying to you know be the gift, and and that's where we have a lot of image and we're a lot of um, focus on what everybody else is thinking and we're trying to 
do it. And it's, you can, people around us can feel the difference. So Chad, you were alluding to this, you know, emotionality and this, you know, wallowing and being kind of selfish and all about me. And when we're to ourselves, we actually are the total opposite. We are a facilitator, a translator, actually, for, for others. Is that what you're saying, Brad? Exactly. Yeah, I'm either... Yeah, it's like I'm, I'm either... I'm either the light uh, shining in on others or somehow I'm like... I, I don't know what the rest of that analogy is, but I'm either in the darkness or I'm just frustrated because the flashlight's not working. <laughs> Yeah, and the the sort of in the middle place for type four we call equanimity, which is just being right, able to be in in the balance of both. So let's take a, a quick break, and we'll be right back, you guys. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Do you know that you were born to experience revolutionary wellness? Have you wondered why extraordinary physical, mental, and emotional health has eluded you? Do you know that your infinite personal power resides right here in the present moment? People all over the world are awakening to their birthright. Revolutionary Wellness. Subscribe today at revolutionarywellnessmagazine.com and begin your journey into the mystery. Engage with experts in topics of nourishment, wisdom, and empowerment. Develop mental clarity. Live wholeheartedly and be empowered to live an authentic life of passion and purpose. The world, now more than ever, needs you to feel revolutionarily well. Explore and integrate new ways of being. Learn to access your own unique treasure, the wisdom that is right there inside you, waiting to be revealed. Experience a renewed, vivid, and nourishing relationship with yourself and the world around you. Log on and subscribe to Revolutionary Wellness Magazine today and experience the publication devoted to your journey toward extraordinary health and well-being. RevolutionaryWellnessMagazine.com In these times of converging crisis, the world needs us now more than ever before. Revolutionary Wellness Magazine is devoted to amplifying inspiring voices facing challenging realities head-on opening up new places of power and inviting curiosity about the paths we might take toward personal, communal, and global health. The magazine aspires to help us become the change we wish to see in the world, co-creating the more beautiful world we know to be possible. Join us on this journey. Log on and subscribe to Revolutionary Wellness Magazine today at revolutionarywellnessmagazine.com. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Our hosts are clinicians of mind and body medicine and lifestyle change. They are writers, activists, educators, and change agents. You can reach the show and our hosts at experiencerevolutionarywellness.com. Now, Back to our show. 
Welcome back, everyone, to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. I'm Susan Olesic, and we are talking with our guests, Chad Christ and Brad Eagerman, about Type 4. We've just been sort of getting down into the the juicier part of the type, I would say, and um, and starting to understand that when I'm wanting to feel something that's meaningful, I can, if I'm a four, get sort of stuck in looking for something that's um, deep, dark, and sometimes it can it can feel a little bit like um, I'm I'm wallowing in something. I get can get in some sort of fantasy. I can be nostalgic, or I can get a little self-absorbed. Even um, Chad was saying. So I want to help people to understand how do we get. Um, in trouble with our personalities. And I think that the gift of the Enneagram is that, um, you know, for type four, they're, they're driven by something that's missing. They're looking for something outside of themselves. And we actually can't change this frustrating dynamic unless we can see what is going on. So understanding that this, this pursuit of something that would make me happy, that would complete me, that would be, um, better than where I am. This is, um, this is a hard place to get out of. And so I'm wondering, Chad, if you can say a little bit for us about how do you, how did you get stuck or how did you get in trouble with your personality and help us to understand that? Wow, that's a big question. Um, how did I get <laughs> stuck? Well, it's, you know, to go into the unhealthier levels of the four is exactly that. It's unhealthy and it's um, becomes sort of narcissistic and, um, masochistic and painful and suffering and there's only you know so much of that one can endure until one you know ultimately drops to his knees and, and relinquishes control and gives up um, the you know I can really agree with 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 Brad and what we were talking about earlier in the sense of wanting, you know, and as far as my art, I want longing for people to know the truth. And, and, and like, um, wow, it's so hard to put in words, but I identify with all the artists that he, you know, that he was mentioning. And I love those guys too. And I think the, the bottom line, the, 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 the overcoming or the main theme to my art and my work is sort of like hope and that there's truth and there's an escape from the suffering. And there's, we see suffering in so many religions in the world and so many strategies. And sometimes we embrace it because it feels good to at least feel something, you know, and I've did that for years in my life where, um, I, yeah, I, I think too, I, I want to jump in. I think what you're saying is like, that's the, that's the, um, allure for type four is that like my feelings feel like I feel it. Therefore I am right. So if I'm not feeling something intense, I must not really even be here. Am I not being real? And so four yeah. can get kind of caught up in that. And yeah. uh, is that's, that's kind of the, the crux of it. I think Brad is, yeah, are like you, or go ahead, go ahead, Chad. And I'll go ahead and, a perfect example would be like, and I still do, like I love like depressing music. Like depressing music makes me happy because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, it's, I'm not, I, I guess it's, I'm not the only one feeling this pain. You know, like when you listen to like really just happy music, that's like, that's not real. Like that's, that's fake. Like happy music makes me depressed. Like it just seems phony to me to a certain degree. And I feel like I've elevated out of that 
bit, a little bit, and I can appreciate that a little bit more. But there's still always that under underlying like feel of of being. Let's be 100 percent realistic and real. And if it's not if it's not honest, it just feels phony to me, you know. And so suffering is is real, and it's you know we all endure it, and we all have different strategies of coping with it. Um, and I've certainly have clung to it for a long time in my life. I'm less interested in doing that now, but right. Um, well, I think what you're yeah. saying is poignant. Suffering is real, but so is joy. And if the bias for type four can be can, on the hard side, you know, like everybody in the hundred acre woods has a type, and type four for is Eeyore. You know, like oh, it's it's tough in there. You know, it's it's hard, um, and it can be addictive. So, Brad, I, I want to bring you in. What, what's coming up for you as you're thinking about suffering and and all this? Well, how dare you compare us to Eeyore? <laughs> uh, never heard that one before. Mm. Uh, if you okay. Say, I'll tell you who type one is rabbit, and that one's no joy, war, <laughs> no walk in the park either. That's You go uh, ahead. Yeah, uh, re- releasing all those all the shadow side through, through the arts, through, through music and, and the other arts, I think is really powerful because it allows me to, to it allows me to embody it and, and, and get it out through, through other parts of me. Um, when it, when it's just in my heart then it, it can really weigh on me at times if I'm not um, living intentionally, mm-hmm. but when I'm, Using that, able to play with it through through other means, it's really helpful. I recently took up the challenge to learn a new instrument, and it's the upright bass. And mm-hmm. there's something about the grounding of it and the rhythm of it and the uh, like the responsibility of it that is really intoxicating. Mm-hmm. And I find myself still gravitating towards the music that has longing in it but right now that is like country music old country music where there's heartbreak um, and it's there's a playfulness that keeps keeps it fresh for me mm. you used a really interesting adjective what's the responsibility in the upright bass uh, there's um, you know the upright bass feels to me like a person uh, like I'm, like I'm adopting someone, uh, adopting a, an entity to take care of. And her name is Sally, and she's just about as tall as I am. Uh, <laughs> and, and it's a ton of fun. And, a, and, and I do feel it's a responsibility to the instrument, but also a responsibility to that, the parts in me that are yearning to be heard. And mm. there's a... And I believe that the instrument chooses the person, and for a long time, that instrument has been calling me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, they say four gives meaning to things, and that, for sure, is a great example, the way you just did that. And now I will never think of that instrument as an inanimate object again. <laughs> so, can, I, can I cut Of course. Come second. on in, Chad. I know you it's got so something. It's so funny, because... Yeah, because I I just laid down like nine bass tracks for a band that I've been playing here, and um, for me the bass is like a mule, um, just pulling the weight. And it, um, 
I've been falling in love with the bass right now, too, the, the serendipity of this conversation. Um, it's also the heartbeat of the band, you know, it's the rhythm, it's the bottom end, and it's super important. It's like, I, I always envision a mule trotting with, like, a plow behind it, carrying the whole rest of the band, and it is the heartbeat of the band. Yeah, yeah. and it go, and yeah. going, threading through all of it, but only when there's someone you know taking the pulse right you know here you are it's the it's you that is connecting the dots for the rest of us both of you and the metaphor that you're able to use that's incredible you know um i i know each of us in our own way has a a real connection to the work that i've been doing with enneagram prison project and i want to bring in the obvious metaphor that i like to use about how we all are in a prison of our own making and to use the word that Chad brought in for us and the way we suffer ourselves. And I'm wondering um, if you can speak to why, um, Chad, I'll start with you. Why do you feel that this system is something that's relevant and, and useful to bring into the prison environment? Can you talk about like, what have, what have you seen that makes that so, so useful? Yeah. Um, well, I think it's useful in any environment. Any, uh, the any enneagram is really unique in where it brings you know mindfulness and attention to the strategies that we all have developed to sort of survive in this world that we happen to find ourselves in. Um, in the prison and, and jail environment, I found it you know personally. I've watched it happen where these guys sort of have these epiphanies or they they have these. Um, waking up moments where they realize, oh my God, like, yeah, that's me. And I've been doing this my whole life. And now, and once you realize that it's pretty clear, like, why have I been doing this? And it's like, oh, and you start to ask yourself the deeper questions, which is always has turned me on. Um, you know, why, why, why do I do this? Why do I do this? And it gets back, you start getting really deep into the driving forces of, of what we're longing for and what we're looking for in life. And that self-awareness is, you know, that's the, that's the door that opens to sort of ending the suffer the suffering to the realization that this suffering is I'm doing this to myself. This isn't, you know, this isn't the world doing it to me. This is something that I am doing to myself. And just that realization is a huge realization for people. And, um, I think the Enneagram is a great tool for people to begin the process of realization and to start to recognize themselves for who they are and to start asking themselves some deeper questions and finding out, you know, why, why are we doing the things we do? Um, and sad. I see so many people in this world, the majority of people who don't seem to ever ask themselves those questions or it seems to take a lot longer than I would like to see, you know, I'd like to see people get a little bit more interested in what's driving them, why they do what they do and trying to elevate themselves and become better people. You know, personally, I think that's the whole sort of point of life. Um, and it's sad. It's unfortunate that so many people take so long, but you know, to each his own. And, but I've, I love the Enneagram because, you know, I've seen it work in jail. I've seen people, it opened their minds up to start to look at themselves a little differently. 
Yeah, you know, one of the um, things that was really hard for me when I started to be um, start when I became an Enneagram teacher was type four, which is ironic because I have so much four in me. But four, you know, is predicated predicated on being the type that is not like other people. So when I would interview people as type fours on a panel, the force four would say how it was for them and then the next four would say what well, I don't really see it that way it's like this and the next four would say something <laughs> different and I was so struggling and I finally you know got over that and realized okay this is the pattern right this is exactly what's going on right and fours um have often been a type that tell me like I could never visit prison because it I think I'm too sensitive and it would be so hard for me to be with all that suffering which is ironic too because actually four has such capacity to feel all of that. And um, so I'm wondering if there's was like, you you have produced so much uh, amazing poetry and found so much connection. And um, we're, uh, I think we're such a conduit for so many people's awakenings and awarenesses. Can you say anything about that? Like what that, that experience was like for you as a four? Yeah. I mean, again, it comes back to like, that's what I really love doing. And I have a gift for that. I think sometimes it's easier for me to see in other people where they're sort of missing it or help bring it sort of enlightenment or mindfulness to others than it is for myself. I think it's it's much more difficult for me to see my own traps and snares in myself. It's much, I have to do a lot more sitting and a lot more work to see it myself. It's just like this natural gift I have, you know, and I thrive on that. Now, I love helping people, sort of pushing them towards the light or toward truth or helping them see the snares and the traps and the prisons that they've locked themselves in. And I just, I have a gift for it. I love doing that work. I, you know, I would do it all the time if I could. You know. Beautiful. Um, yeah. No. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And Brad, I want to include you in... Um, just this thread of thinking about our personal prisons and the work that you see yourself in in doing. I know you, you were part of um, listening to a lot of the Enneagram Global Summit, and we talked about um, improv and all the possibilities of using the Enneagram and getting out of our personal prisons. What comes up for you when you think about this tool in Light of Prison Project and um, our work there? You know, echoing what, what's been said already, the, the Enneagram reminds me of the best teachers and mentors in my life who have, who have risked the relationship by sharing an insight about who I am. And sometimes it's really hurt and it's um, usually correct when I really think about it. And it makes me a better person when I, when I take that, that to heart. Uh, if it's someone that I trust and when I really think it through and the Enneagram, the wisdom of the Enneagram is, um, is a teacher. And when I'm really in touch with myself and, and, and all the great things about me and this, the things I'm working on, those themes are, are hidden uh, in the Enneagram. And, and oftentimes they're just right, right there in the, in the book and taking those. Uh, and, and so not everyone has the luxury of having a, a mentor or, or a great teacher, uh, but access to the Enneagram is just an incredible step forward. And, mm-hmm. and it's, um, it's, it's, uh, it's empowering to take that on. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. Brad, can you say something about um, what, and this might be a hard one, but it's a, it's a hard question on purpose. How can we love and support you as a type four? Well, I think that's just a great question right there. I mean, that's, I mean, that's a great question. Uh, uh, I'm going to give you a little breather because I, I maybe could have even put a few more words in there to let you gather yourself with it. Mm-hmm. Because here's the thing. We um, we do our personality when we are, in fact, finding ourselves unlovable. <laughs> and we can talk about all this different consciousness. But what I, I like to do is make the Enneagram a, a real application and bring it into day-to-day, the nitty-gritty. And in relationship, we can sure... Um, masquerade and we can put up our fronts like we do and um fours i i i know are the ones that are able to you know talk about the stuff that really matters but when we get closer and closer to a four than or to any of us right that's when the real vulnerability can kick in so i think um i i I do genuinely want to know because you guys are both even looking at the enneagram and working on yourselves considerably over the last many years what is a useful way to support you as a four? What's a way to get the best out of you in relationship with you? And that could be in any capacity of your relationship, romantic relationship, your professional relationship with you and your family. How do we love you best? Right. So what, what came to mind is um, uh, what, work, what, what I found the most joy is when I'm using the gifts that I've been given to serve others. Uh, and so opportunities where I get to um, work with other people to perform, uh, whether it's improv or music or dance or um, somehow related to the arts, when, I, when a community is involved or higher purpose is involved, I feel most alive. Mm-hmm. It, just so ha- it just so happened when I was in high school, I had the opportunity to uh, co-create and, and, and direct a senior production in my high school. And it really elevated me to to lead, to lead to help lead that, but like to shepherd it and to take that on. And mm. I, since then, I've had similar experiences where I've had that opportunity. And it, there's, an, there's grounding that comes from it, where may, maybe for others it isn't grounding, but uh, there's something about that environment I, I just adore. Well, it can go either way, right? And it sounds like you were, I mean, two, three, and four with this pain for not being seen the way that I really want to be seen. And then here you are having this opportunity to really be seen to then actually, this is what I'm talking about, to have to have to or get to step into that is a choice, and to step into that with the belief in myself that I, I will be seen and that however I'm seen, that is okay. And I'm not going to die. In fact, I could thrive and I could enjoy it there. Yeah. And, sound- uh, you know, I, I keep going back to improv. Uh, I've, I've, I've taught improv and I've taken a number of workshops in improv. And there's something about improv that requires a presence and a quick thinking and certainly coming from the heart, but, but being really focused on the moment is, brings a lot of peace of mind. And, and maybe the artist in me leans that way instead of thinking really, really far ahead. Uh, when I use all of my emotional capacity to express myself in that moment, um, I feel very calm. 
Uh, and I, I also really enjoy bringing that to others. Thank you. And Chad, how about for you? What's it like to um, support you in relationship? What's what's an insight or something helpful that you could let us know about how to love a four in, in any kind of relationship? Yeah. Um, you know, for me, I think what's most important is just like being present and, and giving me the time and respect, you know, just to... Um, appreciate me and what I see and how I see life and what I have to give and to just be present with a four. Um, I like, you know, just want to be heard and valued and appreciated like everyone else. Um, and, and, you know, I think it's often uncomfortable for other people to be around a four because I don't have any problem at all talking about the pain. In fact, I kind of, you know, I feel it's a, it's a strategy of releasing pain just to be able to put it out there on the table, sort of wear my heart on my sleeve. Um, and it's a gift, too. And uh, a lot of people who are, are not, don't want to look at that part of themselves or they want to, they're living in denial, don't want to, you know, talk about the painful things and the hurtful things. And But it's real, you know, like Brad mentioned earlier, I love like Marlon Brando, who, you know, like boycotted the, Academy Awards because I think it was over Native Americans suffering, you know, and it's just, and like that's very real for me. It's like there's, there's this constant feeling of like there's work to be done. We have there's suffering in this world, and there's there's work to be done, and we let's talk about it, you know. Or you know, I've said this a, a bunch of times on panels with you. It's like I'm very disinterested in small talk. You know, that doesn't do anything for me. I really have, it's like arduous work for me to have small talk with people, but it's so easy and natural to talk about what's really going on, the deep seated issues and, and talk about, you know, how can we, how can we make this world a better place? How can I make myself a better person? How can I help you become a better person? And let's, let's talk about that. Cause I get off on that. I thrive on that. You know, everything else mm. just seems to be a waste of time. Yeah, I would say that that my four friends in my life have um, helped me to open my heart to talk about all kinds of more emotional things than my my own personal brand of ideology, for example. And um, and I I also can I mean I have a sister who's got a four wing and I, we can meet there. I'll I'll call her up and she's like, I got ten minutes. Go deep. What do you got? And I love that about her because we we're right in the middle of something. And of course, there's the equanimity, the balance of you know when it's not that way, when it's just light and fluffy and we're talking about something seemingly superficial that too has a meaning all in its own so um, appreciating you guys being able to to straddle both ends of the spectrum of emotionality and that is really the gift of the four and you know you said it I think Brad said it earlier it's just that the the antidote to all that longing and the envy is really gratitude and if we can lean into that then you know and accept where we are no matter how how it is how dark and and deep and full of suffering or how light and seemingly full of joy um, there's something to that so just any parting words on gratitude from either one of you in the last minute or so here while we close. I'll, um, I'll lean over to you, Brad. Anything that you want to add? Uh, thank you for the reminder that 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 there that gratitude is that is gratitude is is a prereq for navigating 
uh, life from for the force and also just being heard today is this feels really good Mm, thank you. Yeah. Well, it's pretty hard to be in gratitude and longing at the same moment. So I think that is, I heard, I got that from a four teacher. So I, I think that's good teaching too. And yeah, I was, if I might add quickly, I was going to say the same thing. I like, and I practice that daily. It's like, I can't, I can't it be clinging to my suffering and have gratitude at the same time. It's impossible. So whenever <laughs> I feel that dark side, just overwhelming. I just go through my grateful list and I do it multiple times every day. I'm grateful for my health. I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful for, this just goes on and on. And I can't be focused on suffering when I'm focused on gratitude and it can pull me right out of that dark funk. You know? It is Thank definitely you. the answer for the four. Yeah. Thank you both for being here and being able to just speak from your own life and your own wisdom about what it is to, to hang out in this territory. Um, I am appreciating the platform and Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio to be able to share with everybody a little bit more every month uh, all the way around the Enneagram. We're going to be moving into the head center of intelligence next time and talking with a type five. And um, we have someone who's spent considerable time in prison who was in for bank robbery and has the most amazing insights to share with us about the prisons of his own making and his unusual walk into freedom. So thank you, everybody, for joining us. Thank you, Brad. Thank you, Chris. And thank you to Rochelle. Thank you so much. I enjoyed this. You're welcome. Okay. Thank you, everyone. Bye for now. See you next time. Thank you. Thank you for opening your heart and mind to new ways of seeing, to greater degrees of compassion, and to pathways to health for our world with Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Join us next Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time to expand your perspective, deepen your attention, and cultivate practices that support personal, communal, and global health on Voice America's Health and Wellness Channel. 